this was a good day for America. And Republicans. Let's get back to work. Okay. From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast. As heard on 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, on the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and other parts unknown, including Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. Says me, from bradblog.com, thank you for joining us for another action-packed, thrilling adventure of the Bradcast. A big day, a big day at the Supreme Court today. We're going to get to that in a moment. Uh, thankfully, we're going to move a little bit away from South Carolina today uh, for, for the first time in, I think, a week. Uh, maybe a breath of fresh air. Maybe it won't, given what we're going to be covering. Uh, we finished yesterday. Des, did you notice uh, yesterday after our conversation with um, Annie Platoff, the uh, vexillologist? Nice job. Thank you. Uh, she's a flag expert. That's what that means. Uh, I, w- when I was uh, posting the show at bradblog.com, I had to come up with a title for that for that show. So I used because I had we had talked to her. I wanted to talk to a, a flag expert and ask why flags are so important to people. I understand why people want that Confederate battle flag down, but I didn't understand why people are so attached to flags in the first place. Just as a piece of colored cloth that never made sense to me that we sort of imbue them with this. Uh, you know, almost uh, we we worship them. We seem to worship flags. Uh, I don't, but people do, which is ironic, especially for Christians who are not supposed to worship false idols. But uh, so I was trying to decide what to call the item at Brad blog uh, for yesterday's show. I called it vexed by vexillology. <laughs> Why flags matter. You know, the you want to know the title I didn't use. Okay. God hates flags. Oh. <laughs> that would I, work? I, I think that would have been good. I would, well, yeah. Aren't you glad I didn't use it, though? Kind of? Uh, yeah, bit? I think vexed uh, by vexillology is right. probably more clever. All right. So. Anyway, uh, coming up, um, the, coming up yeah, a couple of months ago, I think it was April, May, uh, I had, um, actually, I think it might have been March, I had announced that we had uh, completed our coverage of the 2014 elections. I, that was it. It was after a, a challenge that had happened. You know, we cover the horse race, uh, not the horse race. We cover, you know, the 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 track conditions on which the horses run. And I often warn that you know, once an election uh, election night ends, that ain't the end of the election. Challenges go on. People try to oversee the results to make sure they're accurate. There had been a bunch of uh, election challenges as usual this year. And at some point, I think we had gotten to the last, at least the last U.S. House race. 
uh, that was being challenged and recounted and so forth. And uh, the, the last challenge was uh, dropped or ended. And I said that here endeth our coverage of the 2014 elections. Looks like I lied. Well, I didn't lie. I, I think that I was just I was wrong. But here's how I'm going to make myself right. Uh, the elections I was talking about were the November 2014 elections. Today, we're going to talk about a December 2014 election that is still being challenged in court. And I will explain that. And the candidate who is challenging that election will be with me uh, here to talk about it out of. And I'll give you a hint. It's out of Texas. So that's going to be uh, coming up in a little bit. But you may have heard by now that the uh, U.S. Supreme Court has come to its decision in King v. Burwell. Huge news, huge news on uh, on Thursday in this case. We haven't talked about it much on this show because, frankly, I think it's a stupid case. It was a stupid case from the beginning. It's a stupid case now. It's dumb. It was uh, the last gasps of the uh, right-wingers, the Republicans, who are challenging Obama and the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, in any way possible, any way they can. But you know what? It is the Republicans who are probably most delighted about what happened today and about the decision at the Supreme Court, the 6-3 to three decision at the Supreme Court, which will uh, permanently keep the Affordable Care Act, the Obamacare Act, uh, in play, at least permanently for now. But Republicans... Oh, man, are they breathing a sigh of relief. Even though they're pretending they're outraged about this, they are delighted because had this ruling gone the other way, the Supreme Court would have ended up uh, killing the uh, the Affordable Care Act. Most likely it would have killed tax uh, the, the tax credits that folks get for um, for their uh, uh, premiums when they sign up for the Affordable Care Act on the exchanges. And it likely would have killed the entire law. And yet Republicans today, who would have been blamed for killing the entire law and knocking some, uh, well, as many as 13 million Americans who count on these tax credits, knocking them out so they couldn't uh, afford medical care anymore, they couldn't afford health insurance anymore, it would have been blamed on the Republicans. Yet the Republicans are doing this to raise money. They've been rallying against this bill, which uh, against this law, which was a Republican law in the first place. It was one that they came up with. It was a market-based solution of sorts for the fact that uh, some 40 million Americans didn't have health insurance, could not afford health insurance. Yes, it's a big giveaway to the health insurance companies. Yes, I wish those health insurance companies were out of business entirely because health care is a human right, and we should simply have something like Medicare for all. But this is what we got. We got Obamacare. We got the Affordable Care Act, and guess what? It has succeeded so far in uh, giving insur health insurance to millions and millions of Americans who did not have it previously, who could not afford it previously. So the Republicans would have been in big trouble had this law gone down at the Supreme Court today. And now they're pretending they're just uh, outraged about it. Uh, the ruling is, quote, an out-of-control act of judicial tyranny, says presidential hopeful uh, uh, Mike Huckabee, former Arkansas governor Mike Huckabee. Rand Paul said it turns both the rule of law and common sense on its head. And no one knows more about turning common sense on its head than Rand Paul. 
Anyway, you'll hear Republicans going on and on and on about how upset they are that they lost in Supreme in the Supreme Court. But the fact is uh, they're breathing a sigh of relief today. By a vote of six to three, the justices ruled that insurance subsidies created by the health law can be offered in both state and federal health care exchanges, according to USA Today putting the landmark 2010 statute on solid legal footing for the immediate future and handing the law's opponents a sound defeat. Congress passed the Affordable Care Act to improve health insurance markets, not destroy them, said Chief Justice John Roberts, who wrote the opinion for the court's majority. If at all possible, he said, we must interpret the act in a way that is consistent with the former and avoids the latter. In other words... We must not destroy the law when trying to interpret uh, what it was that Congress was trying to say. Roberts was joined by the court's four more liberal justices, as well as Justice Anthony Kennedy. The court's three more conservative justices dissented, says USA Today. I'm going to put uh, quotes once again around the word conservative, at least when we're talking about Antonin Scalia. I'll explain why in a moment. The case turned on a section of the health law that said the federal government could subsidize insurance for people who purchased it in a marketplace, quote, established by the state. That language, Roberts wrote, may not be as clear as it appears when read out of context. So the background, in case you don't know, this this whole stupid challenge was based on the idea that the law itself says that these subsidies were to go to people who purchased uh, premiums on the exchanges that were set up by this law. And uh, for the people who uh, purchase it in a marketplace, quote, established by the state. Well, as this thing was being drafted, it was thought that all the states would set up their own marketplace, their own exchange. That was the idea. That was it was remember, it was a Republican idea. So this would give states control over which health insurance plans were available to the public. And then at the last second, the Republicans decided, oh, wait, if we pass this, it'll be a big success for Obama. We'll look terrible. We can't let that happen. We've got to oppose this, even though it was a plan that we, the Republicans, came up with in the first place. And all of a sudden they said, uh, you know, state governors said, oh, we don't want to set up insurance uh, exchanges in, in our state. And so they changed the law so that states that did not want to set up an exchange would have exchanges that would be run by the federal government instead. There were 34 states that were using, that decided not to set up exchanges and that were using the federal health insurance exchanges instead. And now this challenge says, hey, but the law said it must be a, an exchange established by the state, not the federal government. You can't pay those uh, subsidies to people who purchased it in a state where the exchange is run by the federal government. And, of course, it's a ridiculous argument. It's a stupid argument because if those people didn't get their subsidies, the entire law would come crashing down. It would make no sense. And so it was obvious, and it was obvious as this case went forward, that all the lawmakers who passed this thing had always intended for people who bought their insurance, whether it was on a state exchange or on a federal exchange, to get these subsidies. Otherwise, the law just makes no sense. It's a stupid challenge. It's a stupid case. And frankly, the Supreme Court was stupid for taking it up in the first place. But they did. 
And today, writing for the uh, writing for the majority, Chief Justice John Roberts said, uh, "Yeah, it's uh, it's stupid because it's obvious that that's what uh, Congress meant to do when they passed this law, whether Republicans like it or not." So, uh, dissenting in this case was Antonin Scalia. Scalia wrote that uh, we should start calling this law SCOTUS Care. SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, SCOTUS Care. The cases will publish forever the discouraging truth that the Supreme Court of the United States favors some laws over others and is prepared to do whatever it takes to uphold and assist its favorites, wrote Antonin Scalia. Scalia said words no longer have meaning if an exchange that is not established by a state is established by the state. He thinks that you should interpret the law exactly as it's written, even though the broader context of this law makes it quite makes it totally clear what it was that was intended when Congress passed this law. But of course, Scalia hates Obama as well. He hates his law. He's a Republican. He's an activist. He's uh, uh, trying to legislate from the bench, even though he pretends that he's against such things. All right. Well. Uh, If you're worried, uh, Justice Scalia, about uh, the Supreme Court showing favor to some laws over others, then I suppose you have the same the same worry about the Supreme Court showing disfavor of some laws over others. Antonin Scalia is a hypocrite. And to explain why, I need to read to you the 15th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution as ratified in 1870. The 15th Amendment This was uh, after the Civil War. It's a very brief two sections, two sentences, very brief, very clear. There is no question about what it actually uh, means. And remember, Antonin Scalia calls himself a conservative, a strict constructionist, an originalist who who takes words for their plain meaning. Well, here's the. Here's the 15th Amendment. You decide what the plain meaning is. Section one, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the U.S. or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. That's section one. Section two, the Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Couldn't be clearer. You can't abridge the right to vote based on race, color, or previous condition of servitude, for example, if you had formerly been a slave. And Congress has the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Well, two years ago, the Voting Rights Act was up for uh, a, a, a contest, a challenge in the Supreme Court. And Antonin Scalia was on the side that gutted it because he said, "Ah, you know what, Congress didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing, even though they had reauthorized the Voting Rights Act, which was meant to enforce the 15th Amendment. And by the way, it took 95 years. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 was finally passed to enforce the 15th Amendment, which was ratified 95 years earlier. Finally, the Voting Rights Act was passed to give the to enforce this article by appropriate legislation, as the uh, 15th Amendment says. So that was passed 95 years later. It was ratified over and over and over again. It was most recently ratified in 2006 when Congress reauthorized the Voting Rights Act as it was written for another 25 years. It was supported in the U.S. Senate 
by a vote of 98 to 0. After 10 months, 10 months of hearings and deliberation in the U.S. House that was led by the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, there was just a, it was almost unanimous in the U.S. House as well. For once, the Congress did its job, and this 50-year-old bipartisan bill in 2006 was reauthorized for 25 years. Almost all observers, right, left, and otherwise, saw the bill as a smashing success, and yet somebody wanted to challenge it. The voting rights bill got to the Supreme Court, and Scalia gutted it. Scalia supported gutting it because he said, oh, it's, there's no more racism in America. Never mind the plain reading of the 15th Amendment, which said the Congress shall have the power to enforce this article. Scalia decided that the judiciary should be able to reinterpret the Constitution. And not only that, should be able to overrule both the uh, legislative branch and the executive branch. Because that was signed in 2006, the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act, by George W. Bush. It was signed by George W. Bush after it was almost unanimously approved by the U.S. Congress after months and months of investigation and hearings and some 20,000 pages of documents determining that that law was needed. And yet, despite what the Constitution says, Justice Antonin Scalia gutted the Voting Rights Act because he wanted to. And now Scalia is complaining that words no longer have meaning? Justice Scalia is complaining that the Supreme Court favors some laws over others? Justice Antonin Scalia is a hypocrite if he claims to, uh, you know, to, to care that words have meaning, if he claims to care that he's a constitutional conservative. And he's a liar if you look at some of his de uh, decisions. Justice John Roberts quoting a text, uh, a comment that uh, Scalia made in a case just last year, said that uh, Roberts wrote today, so when deciding whether the language is plain, the court must read the words, quote, now he's quoting from Scalia's decision last year, the court must read the words, quote, in their context and with a view to their place in the overall statutory scheme. That's exactly what Scalia said should happen last year in a case against the EPA. This year, Scalia is apparently not that interested in the context or the view of the overall statutory scheme. Antonin Scalia picks and chooses what laws he likes, just as he is now uh, charging the Supreme Court with doing. What a liar. <sighs> so, stupid case, but at least it was settled in, in the right way. But we got bigger problems with democracy. <laughs> we got bigger problems with democracy and elections, and that's what we're going to talk about after this quick break. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad Friedman. This is an encore presentation of the Bradcast, but you can now hear a brand spanking new show every single weeknight at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, right here on Progressive Voices. The new daily broadcast is just like the old weekly show, except there's more of it. And more Desi Doyen. Whatever. Don't miss one single action-packed episode of the broadcast. Now, five nights a week at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, right here on Progressive Voices. Always progressive, always on. <laughs>
the eyes of Texas are upon you all the long day. Yeah, see, that's the problem. The eyes of Texas can't be upon you when you can't see how your uh, election results are tallied. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You see what we did there, Desi Doyen? Uh, that was Elvis, Elvis Presley. And our upcoming guest is Dr. Laura Presley. Somehow I doubt that there's a relation. No, there, there's not because they're spelled differently. But uh, it's all about Texas. It's all about uh, whether voters and candidates can see the way their ballots are counted. And it's about what appears to be, I believe this is the last known, at least known to me, the last known election challenge of 2014. Yes, that's right. As I have often warned uh, on, on Election Day and after Election Day, it's not until sometimes days, weeks, months after an election before we can really figure out what the hell went on during these elections. And so, you know, people look at uh, elections when they happen on Election Day. They say, oh, everything went smoothly. Oh, did they? The problems seem to appear in the weeks, months uh, after the election, and uh, we have such a case here. I'm going to get to that in a moment and to my guest, Dr. Laura Presley. Before I get there, however, uh, Fox News. Just last week, uh, this is amazing to me. Now, Fox News has been, as you uh, probably know if you listen to this show or if you exist on planet Earth, has been pushing this nonsense about voter fraud for years and years on end, claiming that uh, voters, uh, usually Democrats, as they like to describe it, are showing up at the polling places, voting numerous times, somehow voting magically as dead people, all sorts of stuff and nonsense. Now, there is some voter fraud is generally done via absentee ballot, but Fox News what they've been pushing for, what Republicans have been pushing for, is more uh, I, uh, photo ID restrictions at the polling place, which, as we know, will keep hundreds of thousands of legally registered voters from being able to cast their vote. In fact, it will uh, stop little or no voter fraud because there is almost l no voter fraud whatsoever done at the polling place through identity theft. Um, voting machines, however, are a completely different matter. We've been covering them uh, here on the Bradcast and at bradblog.com for years on end and trying to uh, warn people about this, trying to warn that the real threat to elections is actually election fraud, not voter fraud. Well, it seems that Fox News may finally, finally be uh, beginning to notice. Uh, just last week, they wrote an article called Hack the Vote. Cyber experts say ballot machines easy targets. Well, that's fantastic, Fox News. Welcome to 2006. They write, uh, this is Malia Zimmerman writes, uh, The recent cyber theft of millions of personal records from the federal government was sophisticated and potentially crippling. But hackers with just rudimentary skills could easily do even more damage by targeting voting machines, according to security experts. Oh, you think? Also, according to us, but, you know, don't listen to us. We've only been telling you for years. Voter fraud is nearly as old as elections themselves. And see, what they do is they, they now change election fraud into voter fraud. But that's okay. It's Fox News. We'll overlook that. And different states and precincts use different voting systems and machines. But in many cases, even the electronic ballots could be manipulated remotely, according to a new report by the Commonwealth Security and Risk Management 
uh, service for the Virginia Information Technologies Agency. That is a report that we covered about, I don't know, about two or three months ago at this time on this show out of Virginia, finding that the touchscreen voting machines, the 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting machines in use in Virginia were easily hacked remotely from the parking lot. They all had the, the same password, which, by the way, was ABCDE. Um, our, de- our entire democracy depends on systems with minimal, easily bypassed security, said Chris Thompson, a strategist with the Columbia, Maryland-based Tenable Network Security. The report is very alarming, said Hans von Spakovsky. Yes, that Hans von Spakovsky, that right-winger who has been arguing that there's uh, Democratic voter fraud for years on end. Suddenly he's decided to notice a problem with voting machines as well. Anyone who thinks that uh, there are not folks out there from loan hackers to foreign governments who are willing to exploit the security vulnerabilities of our election system is living in a fantasy world, said Von Spakovsky from his fantasy world where he's been making things up for years. Glad he's noticed the real threat to elections. Fox News goes on to write that similar vulnerabilities have been previously discovered in machines from Diebold, Premier Election System, Election Solutions, Sequoia, Heart Inner Civic, and we're going to focus on them today, ESNS and others. Fox News reported in 2011 about problems with Diebold AccuVote TS electronic voting machines and that they did uh, after uh, I was able to obtain one from a, uh, a Diebold whistleblower uh, and gave it to some computer scientists who found they were able to hack it in about 60 seconds. And then they went on to Fox News and showed them exactly how that can happen. And then Fox News promptly ignored all of the above until, where are we, 2015. Also, as we noted recently on this program and at, uh, at the Brad blog, Fox News also has noticed... Uh, evidence that the interest in tampering with U.S. elections could extend beyond our shores came recently when the federal government declassified dozens of books found in Osama bin Laden's Pakistan compound during the 2011 raid in which the terror kingpin was killed by Navy SEALs. Among the titles found on bin Laden's bookshelf was Black Box Voting, Ballot Tampering in the 21st Century by our friend Bev Harris, who has been uh, lighting the alarm about uh, electronic voting system problems for years on end. Well, finally, Fox News has noticed, now that bin Laden has noticed, so that's good. Meanwhile, down in Texas, apparently they haven't noticed at all because they still use 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems across much of the state, and apparently they don't give a damn. They don't give a damn whether uh, voters, whether candidates can oversee their own elections. And we have one such case still remaining from 2014. Austin, Texas's Dr. Laura Presley recently filed an appeal of a district court decision on her contested District 4 Austin City Council runoff race against Greg Cesar in December of 2014. Presley, who has a PhD in chemistry and a background in semiconductor engineering management, noticed what she describes as numerous election irregularities, such as more ballots than voter names, as reported during early voting, uh, I, uh, mathematical patterns that called the results into questions. These red flags prompted her request for a recount in January of this year. 
The ensuing process led to a disturbing revelation that the Travis County, that's where Austin is, Travis County paperless electronic voting system made by Hart InterCivic may be operating in violation of Texas election law. And according to court-filed documents, it appeared that Travis County may not have employed some of the administrative safeguards designed by the Secretary of State in Texas to supposedly protect the integrity of the election process. Joining us now to talk about this fine mess is Dr. Laura Presley from Austin. Uh, Laura, welcome to the broadcast. Well, Brad, thank you for having me on. I just, I love your show, and I tell you what, that Elvis song really brought back some memories. <laughs> <laughs> I was a huge Elvis fan when I was a little girl. Oh, well, there you um, go. There you go. I See, know we, it. You're just perfect. Well, we tied everything together. Uh, you and, did. It was although wonderful. Your name, and I'm going to give the spelling of your name so that people can check out your website, uh, is Presley for Austin, and it's spelled P-R-E-S-S-E-L-Y, if folks want to give, get more information on this case. Uh, okay, the, uh, the judge... Hey, can I make, let me, let yeah, me make one correct. It, sure, it's sure. actually spelled P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Okay. E is, e is after the L. So, okay. yeah, just one correction, PresleyForAustin.com. Yes. Thank you very much for that correction. Uh, much appreciated. Okay, the judge in this case... Uh, has apparently thrown out your challenge uh, to this election, uh, these election results from December, uh, the the recount that was supposed to happen in January. Uh, there, I've been following this case for a number of months. As you've been filing your motions, I've been trying to make sense out of what Thank the hell you. is going on down there. Uh, so if you can very quickly, I know you had about five or six points of concern, and then there was one that I'm most concerned about. Uh, but very quickly, if you can give us just an idea of what your concerns are, Laura Presley, about uh, about your election challenge here. Yes, and you know I think the biggest the biggest issue is you know we have these irregularities like you just mentioned. There were more ballots than there were voter names during early voting. We had some ballot by mail uh, uh, voters look like their their votes were tabulated more than once in multiple times on different days, and then we had these mathematical repetitive patterns that just did not make sense, and they just led the, the results to be really not credible. And so we did the recount. And in, in Texas, we have a wonderful statute here in our state, and the legislatures, um, the legislature in Texas really predicted some issues back in the 90s. When, mm -hmm. when the electronic voting systems pretty much hit the scene in the 90s, between 90 and 1990 and 2000, the legislature put into place a statute that said that the electronic voting systems will have as a component a capability to store a ballot image. And this is the crux of our case. When we did our recount, mm -hmm. we recounted the manual, manually recounted the um, the ballot by mails, which are the paper ballots that exist. And, and, that, and that was, that, and let me just to clarify, that was the, the, those are paper ballots, paper ballots that are optically scanned by a, yes. uh, by a computer, so we still don't know if the op scans uh, count them correctly unless actual human beings count the actual paper ballots. But uh, so in early voting, there were paper ballots, vote by mail ballots. Uh, that That's one set of ballots here. And then on election day, they use, well, I use the term uh, touchscreen voting, but actually the heart inner civic machines that you guys use in Austin, they're like touchscreens, except instead of touching the screen, you use a little wheel. But they're electronic systems that record 
the vote supposedly uh, record the 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 voters' uh, ballot inside that not touchscreen machine, but direct recording electronic or DRE machine. Is that is that the system you're using down in Austin? Exactly. Okay. And the ballot, yeah, and the ballot by mail mm-hmm. was you know submitted by voters that are over sixty five or with disabilities, or mm-hmm. they're going to be out of town during okay. you know the, the election day. And so what? So that was a group of votes that we counted. We manually hand counted, and the, and the results were exactly tied 50-50. Exactly? 50-50? Exactly. 240 votes to 240 votes. I mean, it was. if my husband had voted ballot by mail, I, I probably would have won the election. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, right. you know, bless his heart, we, we voted in, you know, in the, in the, during early voting and on Election Day. So then okay. you have two other groups of votes. You have early voting, which was we have 10 days of early voting, which is on the electronic voting system. Mm-hmm. And then we have Election Day voting, which is also on the electronic voting system. Those ballots, there were 4,000 ballots that should have had, by statute, the Texas legislature wanted this in place. By statute, they should have had the ballot image for those 4,000 votes. And that's the crux of our case. Apparently, the Hart voting system in Travis County, we don't know whether it can save a ballot image or that the county and the county just didn't print them in our recount. And so that's the contention. State law says that you're supposed to save a ballot image and be able to use it in a recount. And when we did our recount, they could not produce these ballot images. And so that was the, the basis for our election, and plus a lot of election irregularities that occurred to kind of support why we were even doing the recount. Mm-hmm. And so that was our the basis of our election uh, contest. Okay, so that ba- so Texas law requires that there must be what they describe as a ballot image so that if you want to do a recount afterwards, uh, you can do so. So when it comes to the vote by mail, we have a ballot image in that we have the actual ballot. You're able to count the actual ballot. When we deal with these touchscreen systems, however... Uh, your contention is that Texas law requires that uh, each of these touchscreen, well, they're not touchscreens, I keep using that, uh, DREs, direct recording electronic, uh, that these DRE systems, that they are supposed to store an electronic image, a ballot image, a bitmap image, I guess, for those people who understand how computers work, like a graphic image of the ballot inside the machine and then you can print out the or inside the machine or on the memory card, and you can then print those out so that a candidate like you could count them in a recount. Is that That's is that right. what you're contending? But they're telling Austin is telling you uh, when you asked to see those ballot images from the DRE electronic systems, what did uh, the Travis County clerk tell you? The Travis County clerk at the recount said we cannot print ballot images. What we can give you is what is called a cast vote record. And basically, this cast vote record is a data file that is printed to a template stating this, this, um, this piece of paper said this, this supposed ballot voted this way with one, one result of the, um, of, the, of the race that, you know, for us, our, mm-hmm. our city council race, our District 4. So basically, it's a computer printout of what the computer says was voted, and it does it on a template, one per page. And so we're like, well... That is nothing we ever see when we vote. I mean, when I vote on a heart voting machine, I see the ballot formatted on the machine with squares, Mm -hmm. with the name of the election, with the date of the election, with instructions, and every candidate's name. This cast vote record just has a result on it, and it's printed to a template. Interestingly, 
and this is part of our, our lawsuit, the cast vote record does not meet the criteria of the state of Texas for a ballot. It doesn't have the date of the election. It doesn't have the name of the election. It doesn't have all the candidates' names. It doesn't have a voting square. It doesn't have instructions. And the most important piece of this, these cast vote records do not have a sequential serial number on them. This is part of the Texas Constitution. It says that you have to preserve the integrity of the ballot by numbering it so that we know where it came from. So a ballot... Yeah. Go ahead. Well, no, so a ballot is defined. What a ballot is yes. is clearly defined in Texas, not just election code, but you're saying in the Texas Constitution itself. A ballot must have these various things, a serial number, the date of the election, uh, how the voter voted, and so forth. That That is what uh, constitutes a ballot, correct? That's right. That and, is exactly right. And in, in, the, in the heart voting machine, yeah. you see that. When, when you vote, now you don't see the serial number, mm-hmm. okay? I never even thought about this before, this election contest, but I don't recall seeing a serial number on there. So actually, what we're, our contest is claiming that we don't have ballots to count. There's no verifiable source to go see how people actually voted from a legal standpoint. And thus, if we can't, if we can't determine how people voted, then the outcome of the election cannot be known because it is a tie with the only ballots that we have, which are the mail-in ballots. It's an exact tie. So the victor cannot be declared, and thus a new election has to be, has to be called. And so they're, they're claiming because, uh, so yeah, on the ballots that actually do exist, the paper ballots, you can count them, they're tied. But on these others, they're basically they're making a printout, a computer printout, uh, you know, like a, a spreadsheet or whatever. It's not a picture. It's not a photograph of the actual ballot that the actual voter voted on those touchscreen machines. I understand you correctly there? You got it. You just said it perfectly, yes. And yet, on the Travis County Clerk's webpage... Uh, they say that uh, the e-slate system, that's what you guys use, the Hart InterCivic e-slate system, that's the DRE system, quote, captures an image of each ballot cast so that electronic or manual recounts can be conducted. And when you went and requested this manual recount, as is your right, as a candidate for Austin uh, City Council, and I, I'm trying to underscore this because this is not actually, to me, about your case. This is, you know, right. w- one uh, election in, in Austin, but there are contests all over Texas and, frankly, all over the nation that use this type of technology still to this day, even though we know how easily manipulated they are, how easily they fail, and, frankly, how impossible it is to know after an election if any vote cast on one of those machines actually reflects the intent of the voter. Now, the the Travis County claims that these machines capture an image of each ballot cast, Um I've tried to get information from the uh, Travis County Clerk's Office. I've tried to get information from Hart InterCivic about how they're responding to this because clearly either they define image or they define ballot in a different way than the rest of the world seems to. What information have you uh, received from the county or from the voting machine company Hart InterCivic as far as how they define what the hell a ballot is and what the hell an image is? That's a great question because that's the crux of our lawsuit. And, you know, the ballot is defined by the state law. And so that one's a simple thing. Okay, the ballot is defined as these having these components. There is a statute in, this, in the Texas um, um, Election Code that says the Secretary of State 
can change the format of a ballot if it's needed because of the formatting of the electronic voting system. Well, we have, we have counteracted that and said you cannot just willy-nilly change the formatting of a ballot because when I go and vote, I see the ballot. So that machine can format it. There's no question that the machine can format boxes. They, it can format all the candidates' names. It can format the name uh, of the election and the date of the election. Okay? It, it, Those could, are just, it could take a screenshot, in other words, of what you're seeing on your, on your well, screen. Well, you know, we, this is what we've, you know, whether it can, mm-hmm. it can do it really is, a, is, a, is, a, um, is kind of a fact question in our lawsuit. We asked for the manuals of the heart East Slate and the, and, the, and the different components that would be storing this ballot image, we were denied by the county. We were denied by the judge in getting these manuals to prove or disprove that it can do it. We asked for the software to prove or disprove. We were denied getting that. And so, you know, there were, there's one more other piece of this validating this election that is really critical. The statutes, the, the Texas law has three components for these voting machines. One, it has to have a data structure, okay? That's kind of where the CVRs are being pulled from, the data, the data file that says how we voted. That the, cast, the CVR is the cast vote record. That's cast what they showed record. you, basically a, a, a printout of what they claim the computer, uh, how yeah. the computer recorded the result. Yes. Okay. And so the data structure has to be there because you have to have a tabulation process, correct? Mm-hmm. And then you have to have a ballot image, which is what the statutes say. Then there's a third thing the statutes require. And it is on election day when polls close, you are to print a tally results tape mm-hmm. that indicates the number of votes each candidate received at that location before all the electronic memory cards are taken from the location down to a central counting location where things could you know be corrupted or whatever Mm -hmm. so we're supposed to print a results tape at the location before the election before the election records leave the precinct and i often tell people if you want you know it's very difficult to protect against these electronic systems that are unverifiable but one thing you can do is go down to the precinct after the close at at the close of polls and basically take photographs of those tapes as they print out of each uh, essentially each machine so that, you know, if there's a question later about the results, you can go back to the photos of those original results tapes that are printed out on election night before the full results are compiled and reported. Yes, and in our election, the Travis County clerk and her office instructed in writing for the election judges not to print that. Why would, so she, do, why would she do that? That's a great question. Has because that, has that been the done? Story, the the yeah. story we got in um, in deposition and in the trial, and well in the hearings, was that because this was um, we have countywide uh, vote centers where you can vote anywhere in the county, and that creates very long results tapes. So the election judges did not want to take the time to print those because it would just take too long. <laughs> And so, but but the issue is democracy is a, democracy is hard. Oh, it's cumbersome. Yes, you know, it's, it's just yes, cumbersome. Yes. Um, so so, but the bottom line is, it's required by state law. Had she and changed these before in the past? Uh, I mean, in other words, previous elections, do, did they print out uh, results tapes, or was, was this the first time she said, "Don't print out the results tapes uh, tapes at the uh, at the precinct"? Well, this is the first time it has been publicized that. It has not been done, but they have done it before. 
and we were not aware that they were going to be doing it in this runoff election, which was in December, which only had, you know, eight or ten races. It's not like a huge mm-hmm. presidential election year result tape that has to be printed out countywide. This is, you know, ten or twelve elections. And so, you know, regardless if it's cumbersome, it is required to do this. Yeah. And so the three pieces of data that, are, that need to be there, the data file, the ballot image, and the results tapes, two of the three are missing in our election. So what we have said is because two of the three verification um, pieces of, of data do not exist and they are required by state law, you mm-hmm. cannot determine the outcome. You can't verify the data result. And the, the last thing that we found, and this is interesting because we did get Brad into, into discovery of, of the county election records, and we got audit log tape, we got audit logs of the heart tally system. And what we found in there was really, really surprising. And for folks, we, just uh, let me uh, also uh, define that. The audit yeah. logs are essentially records, internal records, on the voting system itself uh, that are basically tracks everything that goes on uh, on that system. Uh, so when they boot them up, uh, you know, when a new voter comes in, uh, how that voter voted, all of that, inf- you know, if there's any patches or changes to the software, all of that is supposed to be uh, tracked in the logs, so if there's any question, oh, did someone access this machine at uh, you know 5 a.m. before the polls opened? You can go back, check those logs, and see what actually happened on that machine, right? Exactly, exactly. Okay. And so we got these audit logs, very detailed printouts of the tally system, which is a central counting computer where the votes are being when when on election night. You bring in these mobile ballot boxes, which have the electronic electronically stored votes on them from all the machines across the county and Mm -hmm. in those precincts. So they're loading these memory cards into this tally system, and we have the audit logs for that. What we noticed were systematic corruption errors that occurred at the beginning of them loading these sequential mobile ballot boxes after that. And so we have nine corruption errors. Just imagine this audit Mm -hmm. log. It says invalid corrupt mobile ballot box. And then a bunch of votes are being loaded. And what's their explanation for that corruption? So their explanation is that, oh, well, you know, there must have been a reader problem. And so these mobile, these corrupt errors, we just we just stuck the card back in and it read fine. And Dr. Presley, have they allowed you then to examine those uh, memory cards to verify the corruption they say must have been there? That's the answer is no. We asked for this in discovery. We asked for the judge to to please allow us to get to the software of those mobile ballot boxes and look at what was the corruption error. Were there votes on those cards? Was it nine different corruption yeah. uh, issues, or was it one card that kept getting inserted each time? The, the problem here is it wasn't a random event. It occurred at the beginning, and then a bunch of votes were loaded nine different times on election night. That was the thing that stuck out the most, and that's why the results tapes are critical, because that's a safety net. In case there is corruption right. down at Central County, there's problems, then you go back to those tapes and they're not, they don't exist. And, and, so uh, the backup is not there. The, yeah, the, n- nothing is there. Nothing is there. It's 100%. <laughs> it really, it's really true. <laughs> it's 100% impossible for you to verify the results of yeah. your own elections. It's 100% impossible for you to verify 
the uh, you know whether any vote cast on these systems was recorded accurately. Uh, Dr. Presley, before I let you go, because uh, I just got a minute or two here, uh, I want to. Well, I want to get to where your court case is now in a moment, but I also want to clarify, I've talked to, well, I've talked to computer scientists uh, who specialize in electronic voting systems uh, for more than a decade now, and I, I spoke with uh, a couple of them about this particular case. Uh, one who said, by the way, that uh, Travis County, uh, according to him, uh, has always been one of the best jurisdictions in the USA, uh, nonetheless went on to point out that his recollection is that these machines from Heart Inner Civic, uh, and by the way, uh, th th this guy is probably the best electronic voting system expert in the world. Uh, he says uh, that his recollection is there are no image files that are created by this particular Heart Inner Civic machine. He has studied them in detail in both the California top-to-bottom review, the uh, Ohio Everest study, uh, that there is no actual image that is created by these systems, no matter the fact that uh, Travis County says that the uh, system uh, creates an image of each ballot uh, so for manual and electronic recounts. Um, and, and so I don't know if Travis County is lying. I don't know if Heart Inner Civic is lying, or I don't know if they just completely define words in different ways than you or I might. But the bottom line is it makes it impossible for uh, voters and candidates uh, to be able to know if their elections were recorded accurately. And by the way, uh, Dr. Pre I don't even I haven't even talked about your party. Uh, are these uh, non affiliated elections down in Austin? Because I believe the uh, the Travis County clerk is a Democrat. I don't are you a Democrat or Republican, a libertarian? What are what do you consider? Well, yourself? I'm actually. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yes, I'm, I'm an independent. I mm -hmm. vote in uh, mostly Democrat primaries. And our municipal elections are nonpartisan. Okay. So, yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it crosses all boundaries here. Well, this that's is, my point is I don't yeah, even care what party you are or aren't or what your uh, uh, challenger was who ended up uh, being uh, seated in the uh, District 4 Austin City Council race. Uh, I think it's outrageous that voters can't know who won their elections, much less candidates knowing if they won their elections. Now, your case, your challenge uh, was summarily dismissed by the court. You have now appealed it, as I understand. Uh, and uh, that appeal is moving forward. But in the meantime, uh, the court that uh, tossed out the case originally, you had a hearing in that court uh, this week. Am I correct? Yes. What happened in no. that hearing? Well, it, it, it kind of is based on what, what the dismissal, the, dis, the court dismissed our case saying we didn't have evidence, even though we had evidence that we, we believed was very strong in the case, especially the audit logs, mm -hmm. the no results tapes, no ballot images, all of the legal arguments associated with those and how you know the statutes were not being adhered to. So he ruled that we had no evidence and, and then also prevented us from getting evidence uh, in discovery. So well, that, he's that right. You don't have evidence. That's the problem. <laughs> You're asking for the evidence that you won or lost the race, and the county is completely unable to supply you with that yeah. evidence. And I think that's You're outrageous. Exactly right. You're exactly right. <sighs> and so, so we're kind of in this catch-22, right? And then so we had um, our opponent uh, sued us for sanctions. And in the court yesterday, we were... Um, they were going through the, the merits of the mm -hmm. sanctions, and one of the comments was, 
we needed to be punished as a candidate for challenging these electronic voting systems and that the sanctions should reflect, you know, a punishment for to deter other candidates from bringing this forward. So they're seeking and sanctions, legal sanctions against you to, uh, and how much have they said how much those sanctions could be in your case? Well, it, at this point, it, we don't have a final judgment from the judge. And one of the good things that, that the judge said, he said, you know, we're going to let the appeal court grade our paper. And, you know, in some sense, the court's, the court's paper on their judgment of this. And so that's why we are appealing. We, we were grateful for those comments that the judge made. Um, so the sanctions that are on deck right now, we, he has made com- the, the court has made comments that it could be 100000 and that is just really surprising. $100,000 um, that you will have yes. to pay because you dared sue to look at, to try to oversee the results of your own election. Yes. And, and yes. Uh, so ho- we, are in, we are in desperate need. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> need of, of contributions, that's for sure. Well, you so are, and I hope that that will be... forward. Uh, yeah, I hope that that will be appealed if, if the judge does come down that way. I hope that will be made a part of we your are. appeal. People can... Uh, well, if they wish, uh, I believe they can go to your website to help you out, PresleyForAustin.com. Yes, sir. Yes, that would be great. We, you know, we're not just fighting this for our for our single city council district race. This is this is a bigger issue. Elections have to be verifiable, and if candidates who have the the irregularities that we mm-hmm. saw, the mathematical patterns, the issues, the where the numbers don't match up, they need to have the right to question and ask for validation this of is course the, the of tenet co- of our democracy it is absolutely abs- absolutely you're absolutely right i'm i'm running late so i got to get out uh, uh dr presley but you're absolutely right i don't know if you won or lost this election i don't think you even know if you won or lost the election <laughs> the fact that you That's can't right. know is absolutely outrageous and by the way even if those machines did print a ballot image there's no way to know if those machines would be printing an actual image of what the voter voted. So even if they had what you wanted in this case, uh, I'm, I'm sorry to say, there is no way to know if those uh, machines would be accurate. Much of the country has gotten rid of these direct recording electronic voting machines. Yeah. The fact that yeah. Texas hasn't, uh, I think, is an outrage, is an outrage to every single voter of any party in the, uh, in the Lone Star State. So... Thank you for putting up a fight for this, uh, uh, Dr. Presley. Get more information, Presley for Austin, and Presley is spelled P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y for Austin.com. Good luck in the case moving forward, Uh, Laura. Really appreciate your time today. Bless you, Brett. Thank you for what you do. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break and come back with, uh, oh, yeah, we're going to keep messing with Texas. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast. When you got gold fever No romp and rolling girl and fellow stuff Can cure the gold fever Welcome back to the broadcast. They've got gold fever in Texas Brad Friedman from bradblog.com here, uh, running late as usual, so I'm going to do this quickly. The state of Texas is now demanding the Federal Reserve in New York repatriate $1 billion in gold bullion after Governor Greg Abbott, that ninny, signed a bill establishing a state-run gold reserve in the Lone Star State. That's right, Abbott has signed House Bill 483 into law. 
This is not just proposed. He signed this. Uh, this is now law uh, stating, uh, Today I signed HB 483 to provide a secure facility for the state of Texas, state agencies, and Texas citizens to store gold bullion and other precious metals. With the passage of this bill, the Texas Bullion Depository will become the first state-level facility of its kind in the nation, increasing the security and stability of our gold reserves and keeping taxpayer funds from leaving Texas to pay for fees to store gold in facilities outside of our state. Under the terms of the bill written by Tea Partier Cong uh, State Rep Giovanni Caprig Caprilioni, the gold will be held in state-run depository beyond the reach of the federal government and any other quasi-governmental authority. The federal government they're referring to as a quasi-governmental authority. Should they attempt to access or confiscate it? One section of the bill states that purported confiscation, requisition, seizure, or other attempt to control the ownership is void and of no force or effect. Yes, that's right. They are making sure the federal government does not take over the state of Texas as they're sure is going to be happening any moment. It's not, but I wish it was. So then we could build a wall around the state of Texas and keep those foreigners out of our country. Love you, Texas. Thanks to my producer, Desi Doyen, today, and to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, as well as my guest, Dr. Laura Presley from Austin, Texas. Stay safe down there, Laura. You might want to start collecting your gold bullion now. We'll be back with you uh, next time. Until then, you can find me and follow me on the Twitters. I am the Bradblog over there. You can email me, bradcast at bradblog.com. Otherwise, you can find me, of course, at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Oh, brother. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.